0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Maybe you've noticed the trend of intelligent strength and conditioning infiltrating one of the most guarded niche of athlete, the military. In an environment where instructors try to find the delicate balance between physical and psychological stress, many miss the mark entirely. The result can be as benign as inhibited performance gains and as severe as chronic injury. But luckily, our guest, Ranger veteran and TSAC program manager Nate Palin, is leading the charge to equip military and LEO athletes with the knowledge to develop more effective soldiers and first responders. And now for a quick word about the Johnny Wad training camp on April 26th and 27th. To me, it sounds like one big pillow fight disguised as a full-on bro-fest, which I'm inclined to like the sound of both, to be honest. But basically, you're going to turn up in Dripping Springs, Texas, you're going to train hard, you're going to eat super fucking hard, and you're going to cuddle even harder. That's right. Johnny Wad brings a whole new meaning to the term meat sweats, and there's only one way to really experience it, and that's live, in person, and shirtless. So, if you're feeling uncomfortable, beer will be provided, and I think several dozen of those will help take the edge off. If you like the sound of that, and I know you do, check out events.powerathletehq.com for more information. Here it is, episode
1: 304. Smoking, so, so Nick, give, give the listeners a little bit of background, man. So, let's talk about where you're at now, and then maybe yeah. how you got here.
2: Yeah, so the... The history is a long and colorful one. I definitely took a strange road. Um, I'll, I'll try to give the brief version, but it can be kind of hard to come by. So where I'm at now, is, Bring it. Yeah, where I'm at now is NSCA Tactical, uh, formerly known as t uh, We just kind of underwent a little bit of a name change in this last year. But uh, to lead to there, essentially, you know, right out of high school, went into Army Rangers for four years. Uh, left that regrettably for a girl oh, no. <laughs> had to see about yeah. a girl yeah. uh, oh. for a for a for a first marriage I guess for a woman yeah so three years uh three years in college from there I uh, did well and actually enjoyed college but was was missing the fight the whole time and a couple of my buddies had had, had uh, gone back in already and were essentially like Nate you got to come back like things are popping off this is a lot of fun what's what's the time frame about yeah, so uh year's wise. Mm-hmm. So 9903 was my first enlistment and then I went to school till about summer of 2007. Um, left the girl, went back to the back to the army for 3 years. So 2007 to 2010 back to the same unit that I was in, so back at uh Second Ranger Battalion. Um definitely had had my fill, had a good good amount of fun during those 3 years. Um kind of got as I was getting out, I had no clue in the world you know what I was gonna do and I just knew like, I'd done three years of marketing at Butler did an internship for the Pacers did an internship with a corporate real estate company and was like if if these are kind of the cool jobs you know, <laughs> like, this isn't where I want to be so I went I uh, went back in uh, as I was finishing up my time Actually, Jim Jones came in. At the time, Athletes Performance came in. They were doing kind of some some workshops or some seminars with, with the unit. And uh, I realized, like, wow, there's a, a different way to train than I've been training for these, you know, X amount of years. And, and I was definitely an effort guy, so I was putting a lot of effort into the wrong stuff. And so essentially I got out and I was like, okay, I'm going to follow this coaching path and bring it back to special operations. So at the time I had no clue – That that was already in the works with you know what is now the the potif contract. So I got out, started a personal training business, finished up school online. Uh, I was lucky; I just met a few of the right people who guided me in the right direction with regard to hey, read this book, follow this coach, you know, do what they're doing, kind of thing, and built my business up for a couple of years. Got to the point where all right, I either need to move into my own shop or I need to, to land one of these gigs. And uh, severely underqualified for the contract. Contract requires, as we talked about earlier, five years of, you know, pro Olympic collegiate coaching experience. Um, however, I came with the ability to quickly get a clearance. And, ah, and yeah. uh, you know, kind of back to the who you know, and I had a strong network. Um, so I went out and interviewed on the East Coast uh, with a group in D.C., got extremely extremely lucky got picked up and uh, worked out there for a few years and uh, man went back to Seattle reopened my business did that for a year and then a position to open up for special forces group and I jumped on that and spent three years there before at the NSCA so a little bit of an all over the map uh, kind of situation but I, I always tell people, people like, hey, how do I get into this? What do you, what do, you do? And I say, do exactly what I did not do. <laughs> yeah, do the opposite. Yeah, make Just it easy on up. yourself. Go to school. Go get your five years. And then come over to the tactical setting.
1: So when you were out in, were you working with civilian folks in your facility?
2: Uh, yeah, in my, in my private facility. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, training out of some, you know, written space out of someone else's facility, training everything from soccer moms to soccer players, you know, a a good amount of endurance athletes, uh, really just a mixed bag, which was a blessing because it forced me to figure out how to work with all different types of people with all different types of goals. I remember when I went to my interview at uh, First Group, the guys were talking about periodization and they're like, well, one of our concerns about you is that, you know, you've never worked on with athletes in, in periodized, periodized programs. And they all came from the college setting. I'm like, so you guys are used to working with 18 to 22 year old kids for two to four years where like you basically throw anything in front of them, they gobble it up and they crush it and they get right. better. I'm like, try working with, you know, a 47 year old lawyer who does Ironman on the side for six seven years consecutively like that's a challenge that's periodization (laughs) and so you know i kind of turn the tides a little bit on that you know that concern of theirs
1: yeah man and that's i think that's the thing is the some of the gem pop folks that you run into like they become the complex knots to untangle right versus having a performance mindset for a young athlete or you know a young go hard right absolutely sorry
2: yeah, and two, I mean, in the you know in the athletic setting, you have so much time, and they're in, they're out, they're on to the next, and you you almost can't break them in the amount of time you have. And um, definitely your, your gen pops can be a lot more sensitive, you know, stress management and all that kind of stuff. They have so many more things going on in their life that you have to account for.
1: So coming from, let's say, a military background and getting in and working with some of these dudes, whether it's special forces or just, you know, G.I. Joe, right? Uh, Were there any surprises or any learning curve in working with those folks?
2: I think the biggest surprise and the biggest surprise that I convey to most folks is that when these guys come in, you expect that, like, they're going through this factory that's just stamping out the same candidate over and over and over. So you would think that, like, each rush of guys that comes to whatever unit you're working for okay, these 10 guys all look exactly the same, and, it's, and it couldn't be further from the truth because really they only need a baseline of physicality. It's, it's that mentality piece that's going to get them where they need to get to through those selection processes. So you could have a, you know, an, a larger guy, super strong, and he relied on his strength you know, to help him through whatever load carriage assessments and whatever other tests there were versus you could have a smaller guy like myself who's a conditioning beast and he relied on that, even though he really wasn't all that strong with whatever load he carried. So you end up getting very different types of athletes to work with. And so you have to figure out how to train, you know, the masses toward different goals, even though those masses don't look anything like each other.
1: Nice, man.
3: It, let's get into NSCA Tactical. So I know you all offer a certification. So what kind of changes have you gone through or lessons learned that led you to this Point in which you're just rebranding.
2: Yeah, so I'll speak on the certification just for a moment first. I guess kind of set it up, but with the the certification we offer TSECF, or Tactical Strength Conditioning Facilitator, um, you know, it was created as sort of this stopgap because you have what we would love for is a CSCS certified strength coach in every single you know tactical facility in the world so to include you know police fire etc but the truth of the matter is they're just not set up right now financially to you know take that on and so in the interim you have a lot of kind of peer training or sort of your 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 quote SMEs you know which is really who who's the strongest guy in the station and so we created that TSAC F for that end user so it's not you know wouldn't call it a high-level certification requires a, a high school diploma and the idea is really like let's empower the athlete himself to train smarter and like we'll we'll even have people like for example that train on your program and we're like, OK, we can come in in person and teach a course, much like you guys do, and make you a more savvy athlete at the program you're already doing versus try to totally overhaul it. And so that's sort of where that t F came in, in a perfect world. It's strange as it sounds, I'd love to totally phase it out because I'd love to have a fully qualified coach in all those locations. And I do think that that's where we'll end up eventually. Right. So, you know, with the rebranding, part of it, <laughs> the real thing was just we wanted to get rid of the alphabet soup. I mean, <laughs> NSCA T-SAC. So, you know, I'd go and present at different places, and somebody'd be like, "Well, what's T-SAC?" And then, and I'd tell them tactical strength and conditioning. Well, what's the NSCA National Strength Conditioning Association? So I'm like, it's National Strength Conditioning Association, tactical strength and conditioning. Holy crap! It's a so, mouthful. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. So instead, I was like. We have, you know, basically three different uh, audience groups within the NSCA. So there's coaches, there is personal trainers, and tactical. And so given that coaches and personal trainers are named just that, I was like, why don't we just call this tactical? So we actually sent it out to, you know, about 50 uh, different people that comprise the the tactical audience, had them vote on it, had them not just say, hey, here's one, which one I like, but give us your opinion on both, and it was, it was overwhelming. Um, you know, I, some to the tune of four to one in favor of, of tactical. So, and you get rid of a lot
4: of the sack
2: jokes, too, which is nice.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you get it, Jeff? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, no, I, get it. I, <laughs> I get it. I was just trying to figure out how we can get a B in there, to get, you know, for teabag. Oh. Teabag sack. Teabag sack. Tactical, ballistic, athlete, ah. governing... Strength. Strength. Conditioning. And. Conditioning. In. And conditioning. So that way we can get like tea bag sack or tea sack bag. And so you all get the opportunity to work, fire, police. So
3: share some of the different facilities that you go into to empower. Oh,
2: holy cow. I mean, the discrepancy is is, is huge. So... I think part of the the power and so we do a practitioner course which kind of leads into that facilitator certification for for many but what it really is is it's very practical focused. hey here's here's what you actually need to know to execute a program here's how to squat you know and so when we go into these uh, when we do private courses in different facilities we work with what they're working with um, and you'll go to some that are you know fully outfitted sore necks, wall-to-wall beautiful Hey, they put a hundred grand into this place and you'll go into some that it's you know, this is the Kmart rack that we bought back in nineteen seventy five and a rusty barbell and maybe a kettlebell and a you know, medicine ball that's got half its weight in tape that's holding in whatever stuffing's left. So you're definitely working with all different kinds of things, but what's great about the the course is that it's very principle based. I mean NSA in general, right? Sort of about principles, left-right limits. We're not we're not a group that really delivers programs. And so we can take whatever equipment they have, whatever program they're working, apply some principles to and just try to smarten it all up a little bit.
3: What do you find most guys doing out there? Just making stuff up or following some ridiculous over programmed, over conditioned training there's i, I mean over
2: overconditioned. The, the word a lot comes to mind
4: you see guys doing a lot yeah. i mean uh you know like i always think uh it's easy just to get out the hammer and just break a lot of shit so yep. i think in like the absence of good leadership or having a like a solid program people just default to the hammer and uh you know and then they get the at least the emotional response of just getting the fucking beat down every day and you're like, man, like, uh, if you burn your city to the ground every day, how are you ever going to build a skyscraper, you know?
2: Yeah, and they're not afraid to work hard. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier with regard to intensity, you know, the way they think about intensity is the, the perception of working hard, not a you know, percentage of, of 1RM. And so anytime you go into these spaces, you'll see a guy willing to work hard, willing to work for a good amount of, of time, but they won't really be touching what you know, strength conditioning coaches would consider true intensity.
1: Yeah, that's so fucking crazy. And when we... So we were...
4: Yeah, but I mean, dude, we've seen it. Like, I I mean, they've done extensive studies where they ask people to walk into a gym and say, hey, you have this gym, go get strong. And people end up doing like lighter weights for like a shit ton of reps, Mm -hmm. not realizing. And I think uh, we were talking about the people that are in the strength conditioning field that don't have like a practical kind of knowledge of physiology. I mean... Just observationally, I saw that the people that lifted weights over 85% for the majority of their training had a very different structure and a very different like appearance of muscle than people that didn't. And uh, like just like that observation was like, I can tell the people that lift heavy weights and then the people that have grew up lifting heavy weights that all of a sudden switch and start doing something more conditioning based, all of a sudden have greater adaptation quicker than the people that went almost in the reverse. And so, I mean, but that's just understanding a little bit of, you know, Zadiskorsky and a little bit of like classical periodization and understanding like, you know, muscle fiber. And so I don't think you have to have a PhD in like exercise phys, but I think everybody needs some form of practical understanding of like the physiology and fiber type and motor unit recruitment and, you know, ray coding and all that stuff. I mean, it just to me, it just makes uh, it, it answers questions for when they see things in observation. I think, too, I mean, it's it's the you are, you are what you're to be, right? So for
2: us, we were used to grinding and submaximal grind all day. And we saw it all the time at first group where we'd have a guy work up to, say, a heavy triple and them, you know, or their heaviest triple. And then we drop them down to, say, 80, 75 percent, and they would knock out 25, 30 reps a little uh, Hatfield muscle fiber testing, and it, and it and it blew the minds of the other coaches because they're like, "Oh, these guys are sandbagging on their max." And no. of course, I'm built like those soldiers right, are, right. and I grew up training the way they train, and I would do the programs they would do, and I'd have the same thing. Like my max was garbage, but you you take like thirty pounds off
4: the squat, and suddenly I went from three reps to like fifteen. Mm-hmm. And it makes it goes it no down, down to, to, uh, to yeah, um, an inefficient central nervous system. Because mm-hmm. to be able to lift heavy 1RMs or at least heavy rep maxes, you need an efficient nervous system. And that only comes from actually lifting heavy heavy weights and low reps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we, we did the same thing. I remember, uh, like, the one thing that really kind of tweaked my fucking... Mind especially on rep max is we, uh, when I owned a commercial gym at Balboa, we did a uh, Hatfield's muscle fiber test. You work up to, uh, you know, heavy single, we come to 80% max reps. And we had a girl in there who was, a, a pretty elite. Casey Fisher. Yeah. Casey Fisher, pretty elite. Um, like a high level, uh, Tower. Well, uh she was, no, well, she track. was, she, yeah, she was a, a long jumper and triple jumper. I think at like San Luis Obispo. So she was real fast and did a bunch of sprint work. So she was a trained athlete. And then she got into, she was a professional tower racer.
1: Yeah, t- like 80 stories, Like 150 and fifty-story. Like you stand
4: at the bottom of the Sears Tower and you race people to the top. Like that was yeah, her, yeah, I mean. That's no fun at all. Way worse than fucking <laughs> CrossFit, like way worse. And then she set the world record on, she rollerbladed across America. Yep. Like fucking legit crazy person. But uh, <laughs> she squatted, I want to say like 305, 310 pounds for a single which is, I mean, fucking way over double body weight for a girl. And then, uh, I remember we cut her to 80 and she hit like, like 28 reps. And then she rested. She's like, I think I can do better. And then she hit like 30, like Holy three cow. minutes later. And I remember like there was no information on this. And like the only thing I could go back to was what Louis Simmons said, like the higher the androgen profile, the more efficient the nervous system. And that's why women can lift a higher percentage of their one RM for more reps And so I just thought it was a male-female deal. And then we got into this, uh, you know, as we saw the evolution of the training kind of come on with a lot of submaximal efforts for a ton of volume. uh, I realized that the training, especially like your first, you know, uh, your first exposure, if you're exposed to that submaximal load for a ton of reps, it ends up kind of developing a certain fiber type or um, neuromuscular pathways or just energy system, whatever you want to call it, or all the above. And then that kind of conditions you. And then we have to spend a lifetime going back and trying to rebuild that stuff. Yeah, the the novice window where we design our program bedrock
3: to maximize that for athletic potential and stick within fives to threes to ones because we want to build those power athletes. The same physiology works for endurance. So you get those freshmen, sophomores in high school that run cross country and then want to take on football. They've already established and gone through this, this physiology phase for the novice window, but it's for that endurance adaptation it's crazy so you got to do a lot of work to do undo that and it's i don't know fascinating stuff that you know finding all this out in training and then you read some research that parallels your discoveries working with a lot of different athletes.
2: I always say the army killed my athleticism. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, we and, believe it, man. Uh, we work we've, with some of those dudes. Yeah. And,
4: well, ugh. just the heavy pack, like the amount of um, uh, kyphosis I've seen in the upper back from like the heavy pack and the rounding. Like trying to get dudes under the bar and like actually stand up and like hold a good position uh, is like uh, shattering wine glasses. You know, it's like like uh, and seeing that just blew my mind, but. I'd, I'd agree that the Army is uh, definitely athleticism killer. Yeah.
2: I mean, it, at least there are some changes coming. And, yeah, uh, no, there are. With, you know, I, I two years after I left Rangers, maybe even less so, they brought in, you know, strength conditioning coach coming from the sport world. I think just prior to that, he was with the Mariners. But they, when I go there now, I'm like, wow, if I'd have had this. Isn't that the I RAW program,
4: uh, the Ranger
2: Athlete Warrior program? Yeah, so there's a Ranger Athlete Warrior, which is kind of, you know, coming from – coming from the flagpole, so to speak. So I don't know how well it really trickles into the units. I think that – but it is a step in the right direction. But I think coaches are, in all
4: honesty, doing even better than that yeah. in terms of what they're truly doing on the ground with those guys. Yeah, I had the opportunity to sit with uh, General Acamera, who was the guy that implemented the RAW program and uh, went through it. And, I mean, I think uh, – I think some, and, and you, you see this, the guys at the top have this vision, and then as you trickle down through middle management and your, you know, your NCOs and what it try to get to at the end is maybe not, like, the vision, but at least if it's on target, if we're on paper, like, it's better than fucking shooting off into the wilderness.
2: Where, where they screwed up was their choice of messenger. So because there were no coaches at the time, the raw program existed when I was in, but oh, it okay. came by way of physical therapists. Uh, uh, you're like... Nobody's going to gonna my touch ankles. it. Yeah. Like, you're not the guy that I trust to be telling me
4: how yeah. well the uh a lot of good strength and conditioning is died at the hands of pts and anybody that's listening to this right now that's a physical trainer or a physical therapist uh you start know, lifting weights start well but let I me. Mean, <laughs> you know like the the guys that we've brought on that have a pt background or atc and we can get them into the methodology and start going them, like i think it makes sense but like i i always go back to one of my first uh Involvements with a PT at, at, at my commercial gym was uh, we had a gal who was actually a pretty high-level uh, high CrossFit athlete, it was like a you know, competitive gymnast, high-level. She got into a bad position on the front squat, like let her elbow kind of dump on one side and kind of tweaked her back a little bit, and we had a guy there, and he was and his first thing was, oh, if it hurts, don't do that. You shouldn't do this training anymore. You should just walk and do yoga, and I remember being like, like that's your fucking prescription? Like, and then I realized that a lot of their deal is about removing pain. And pain is this interesting thing where, like, uh, like, oh, if it hurts, don't do that. And then the pain goes away, and then magically they fix their fucking job. But, like, then what do you do with your athletes? And uh, it's just super interesting in terms of, like, you know, balancing the emotion of pain and, like, realizing, like, that's not what fucking, that's that's unpractical in the grand grand scheme for athletes. Well, I know, too, like, The
2: military has really sought out, at least within special operations, sought out PTs that are coming with a sports background because with that background, that guy has to get back on the field and play. And those that are coming from more of the civilian sector, it's a little easier just like, oh, well, so I don't have to deadlift anymore. PT said I don't have to, so it doesn't hurt anymore. Like, yeah, and if you don't get up off the couch... You don't have to worry about hurting your back either. Right. It's like incentive, right?
4: Uh, yeah. Oh, shoot him on my profile. I, I, I disagree, man. It seems like the more I sit, the worse no, for my... Sure. You oh, know, yeah. No, Because okay. we know
1: the other side of the floor. Yeah, no, but I, if
4: you I, never get up, you'll never know. Well, <laughs> if, if I die, it won't hurt either. You know, like, uh, I, you know, dude, these guys have heard me say it, but like uh, in the NFL, like people always like, oh, you know, was the pain, the collisions and all that? And I'm like, yeah, it fucking hurts. And they're like, well, what did you do for it? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I would always thought it was the receipt for a fucking hard day's work. Like, if I got out of the thing without any pains or bumps or bruises, I probably didn't fucking do anything. Yeah. Like, I don't know why everybody is running from this idea of, uh, you know, pain is this fucking awful thing. I'm like, man, if when it stops hurting, it's usually when you're fucking dead. Yep. So, you know, embrace it. Or you're it
1: Dalton from Roadhouse. Pain don't Pain hurt. don't hurt, yeah. John.
4: Okay. I, yeah, but he still had pain. It just—he had basically oh, just his interpretation. <laughs> his <laughs> mental conditioning had fucking diffused it. And explains his condition. the roundhouses. Yeah, I mean, he was <laughs> fucked up. He's like, Dalton, you better slow down. You mm-hmm. might, you know. And he's like, and
1: then what happens? You rip a guy's throat out and you get the girl. Fucking sorry. And you, have, and you have an amazing <laughs> and you,
4: you have an amazing mullet and a really cool Mercedes. It's so awesome. That's your—he's uh, your spirit animal in that movie, huh? <sighs> I'm torn between Dalton and any Kurt Russell.
3: Did you say any Kurt Russell? Name a bad Kurt Russell movie. That's a challenge. Uh,
4: you can't, my exactly. Thing, <laughs> my favorite thing about Roadhouse is they don't give him a last name. Oh, Dalton. It's going to be my, my, son's, my firstborn son is Dalton McQuilkin. So my buddy, oh uh, my buddy, RC, his boy named Dalton for fucking Roadhouse.
1: Yeah, obviously. Everybody has... A son named Dalton, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Dalton McQuilkin, the big D, huh? Yeah. But no. who
1: has a daughter named Dalton? Ooh. You? might be in the name pool.
4: Might Sparky? Name pool.
1: Sparky or Dalton.
4: So Luke's, girl, Dalton. Uh, Luke's <laughs> wife's pregnant, so he's waiting on his first, <laughs> and we'd up with names. And uh, I think Sparky Summers is a fucking can. I'm going it with
1: it, yeah. I mean, that should be very healthy for, like, a young girl to go through junior high with the name Sparky. I think it's absolutely ridiculed. Very wholesome. Well, she's gonna be 6'6, 250, or 4'4. Boy
3: boy named Sue, girl named
1: Sparky. There you go. See? Fucking Johnny Cash coming back. Yeah, Johnny Cash.
3: So what are some myths that you've had to bust when you're out teaching these things? Because I was at NSCA conference this year, January, and I got a question that I haven't heard in about seven years because I presented on our bedrock program, where we squatted on Monday and then deadlifted on Tuesday. And someone was like, no, you can't. You can't do legs two days in a row. What's going <laughs> on with that? And I, I it took me just a, a few seconds to compose myself. I hadn't heard that question. So what kind of myths, questions are you hearing out in the road that are making their way through firehouses, police stations, and the like? Yeah, I think the people think there's a mutual exclusivity
2: of strength and power work and endurance work. And I think the myth is the degree of cannibalization. So obviously we know that especially at high levels, there is some cannibalization that's going to occur. But the truth is when somebody's at 60%, if that of their capabilities, right. Or their genetic potential, you're not, you're not worried about cannibalization whatsoever. I remember we had, uh, one of our stronger guys, a group, you know, it, deadlift somewhere in the sixes. I think he also, well, maybe, maybe squatted in the sixes. But we put him on. We did a very simple programming where we basically took, hey, if your conditioning sucks, you're going to do double conditioning and you're just going to do the bare work strength. And if your strength sucks, you're going to do double strength and bare works or, you know, conditioning.
4: So, sounds revolutionary. So, it sounds, yeah, sounds crazy. Just, I don't know if anybody's going to do that.
2: Wild. <laughs> and we implement that. And this guy's on the conditioning program. And, of course, his conditioning gets a lot better. It should. That's what we're focusing on. And he added, like, 30 pounds to his deadlift in six weeks. And we're like, what? (laughs) Even the guy who's stronger than most guys in group is nowhere near his genetic potential. And so he's training both strength and conditioning, and both are still getting better. So I think a lot of guys are like, oh, you're going to kill my gains, coach. Like, oh, my God, I got to do some, you know, a little bit of conditioning
4: work and it's. Dude, we we saw this over and over again. Uh, Guys who are real strong and and have a certain fiber type, and obviously, if the guy's you know squatting in the sixes and deadlifting sixes, he's kind of gone past the generalist into the specialist. But actually, going back and working on building that aerobic base uh, improves like uh, um, like you know motor unit recruitment, mitochondrial density, all this really interesting stuff. And just adding a little bit of that aerobic base ends up making everybody fucking stronger, lean out, and it's just it's kind of a weird, interesting dose thing. Um, and I remember, like um, I think it was Charles Paulkin said it that like if you have to wait for the research to come out, you're going to be ten years behind. Yeah. And so like there's some really interesting research coming out about it, and but at the end of the day, you're looking at like this very specific individual, and then the problem is everybody tries to extrapolate it out for everybody and being like, oh well, you know, it's going to kill my gains. Well, no, it's not. And then you know you read something on you know Teabag Nation where you're like, oh well, no, who knows. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny that you uh, mentioned the waiting on the research because
2: obviously NSCA kind of pride ourselves on a lot of the, the research that's delivered, even though it's not created within the NSCA. We just collect it, you know, vet it, package it, distribute it. Um, but there are a lot of things that we try to start different initiatives that are more timely, um, so that we can put out information quickly. And most of it hits a roadblock because education department, right, wants like, no, we need to make sure this is all legit. Can't we substantiate it yeah. with some. And it's like, to me, I mean, a few things. One, I don't think that, I think they can overlap, right? Like one doesn't have to exist without the other. You can put good information out there that isn't necessarily peer reviewed. You just manage expectations. You just say, hey, this isn't peer reviewed, but it seems to be working. You know, and the one way we've gotten around that a little bit is the coaching podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I know a lot of us are pushing for a blog. Man, I wonder if I'm going to get in trouble for saying all this. Anyway, a lot of us are pushing for a blog. We'll work it out. Nah, put it in there. <laughs> and, you know, but they're worried about it because they're like, well, you know, people are going to hold us to a higher standard. I'm like, well, if it's whatever coach is writing that blog, this is his
4: information. But, I mean, um there are certain truths that we've seen in strength, conditioning and performance training that was almost next to impossible to find any research on. Um, and like, I, I know certain things that we've seen within like, you know, like our training. And I always think, uh, I had a really interesting opportunity when, um, I got out of the NFL and got approached, um, by the, you know, by the Martians as I refer to them. And I got to put out a program that, you know, was followed by, thousands of people around the world uh, daily. And then we had the rare opportunity of traveling to seminars all around the globe and meeting the people that had done the training. And their experiences were all very similar. Like there was no, like it was crazy. Like it didn't matter if we were in the Arctic Circle or New Zealand. Everybody that had followed the training had the same general experience. And the only way we could classify it was like their level of exposure before showing up. Like if they were a beginner and this was their first exposure to training, we saw the same results. If they were an endurance athlete and they did this, like, like we could almost like listen to what they were, you know, Hey, this is the experience that I had. I had this great one. I followed the training. This is why I'm here. And then I'd always ask them like, okay, Hey, what'd you do leading up to it? And it was like a one-to-one that if this is what their training looked like beforehand, and then when they added this like new stimulus in, this is what happened. And it just really helped us uh, and really just helped me organize training programs and understand adaptation and how things drive because we had thousands of data points and we met thousands of people around the globe over a decade to do it and i, I like i don 't know anybody that's had that opportunity to be able to run that much testing you know just put out a free centralized program and then go meet all the people that did it and you know and then put them through actually a two day seminar where we could see what the limitations and the people that showed up that hadn't done the training couldn't do fucking fuck all of what we wanted them to, but the people that had done the training were dramatically better to the point where if we started the seminar, we could pick out who had done the training and who hadn't. And then it just was this, you know, and then like we've talked about earlier, like we're looking at patterns and these guys are great at it too. After you work with hundreds of athletes, you're like, Oh fuck, I can spot them a mile away. Just how they walk in, how their stature looks, how, you know, what, you know, how they're presenting and holding themselves. So it was, uh, uh, a really great opportunity, and I don't know how to go back and replicate it today. I just think there was like a sweet spot for this whole thing, and we hit it at the right time. So it really helped us develop our Athletic program.
2: And plus the the value of what's happening in the real world, right? I mean, research exists in a vacuum, and so mm-hmm. you can't ne- necessarily extrapolate that and make it apply to a real-world setting. And so there's a different type of value in that.
3: But, but y'all have NSCA coach. Right, which is a collection of, and I wrote some of our conditioning ideas that got in one of the the articles, man, uh, 2015, I can't remember exactly. I think it was 2.4, NSCA coach 2.4. But in that, you get the application of different practices and the combination, right, where research is focusing on a piece. You get a collection of all these different components that our coaches are applying from all over. So... Yeah, I guess it's on blog format, but still a delivery of the application.
2: Yeah, it's so you know, I would call a lot of that like theory based. So in other words, you're like, here is mm-hmm. how I use this, or here is my theory on how to use this, and I back it with research. But those, even those periodicals or those quarterly journals, are still peer reviewed, so they're still going through a pretty hefty process, which makes it a slower process to delivery. Um, I think the beauty for us is in our in our conferences because that information is, is generally speaking, pretty up-to-date. Um, a lot of times it's research being presented before research is published or it's very much anecdotal, hey, here's what a coach is doing, or in the same way those journal articles are, here's what a coach is doing and here's some research to support you know, its value. And so that's why I think our live stuff is so successful. Um, I think it would be great to have. So it's sort of like if you think about the JSCR, the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research, Right, that's going to be the slowest to develop because that's research-heavy, very thick, peer-reviewed, scientific. And then those quarterly journals are kind of the next step, so they're more uh, practical, but they still go through a pretty lengthy review process. Um, and then I think our you know our next stop is sort of to have something again like a blog. Um, that's not written by people within the NSCA building, but people within the coaching community. And yeah, Provide the platform, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just provide the platform. Say, hey, these are the opinions of X, and and let them roll with it. I mean, um, we've basically done that with the podcast, just in a you know an audio format. It's been super successful, and so I think it'd be great to have something written in that same light.
3: And y'all have in San Antonio, August, the NSCA Tactical yes. Conference, right? Yep. What's What's the mission there?
2: Yeah, so mission there is is uh, right in line with what we're talking about, bringing timely information regarding tactical strength and conditioning to, uh, you know, our tactical audience. And what's unique with that audience is that it is primarily strength coaches, but it also includes a lot of practitioners like dietitians, physical therapists, athletic trainers, and then also what's very unique compared to say personal trainer or coach is that we also have. Um, the tactical professional as part of that audience group. So the soldier, the cop, the firefighter. And so it really kind of spans a pretty broad audience. And it's, you know, the one conference is bringing all those different types of professionals together. And this year, our focus is really practical information. So we asked, you know, and, and it's not all going to be, but for the most part, we asked for the people that were applying, like, Hey, show us how this can be applied on Monday that's really what the people that are going to the conference are looking for.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the conferences is always so much information. You maybe see four or five lectures, it's mm-hmm. a lot. It's, you got to take away one, two things from each. And speaking from an hour, you got to make sure that you deliver that one. Absolutely. I remember going to my first one and you know sitting back to back
2: to back to back lectures and then i'm just fried by the end of day one and so you start to learn to choose your battles and kind of pick who to go and see and uh, we definitely have an awesome lineup this year with you know a a few people from more of the mental performance world a couple of really good uh, nutrition talks that are going to happen certainly some some kind of tech and research uh, side of the house but again asking them to be a little bit more relevant to practical application of that stuff um So that's not just like, hey, here's this cool research I'm doing in a closet. It's like, hey, here's the
4: research I'm doing, who I'm doing it with, and why it applies to you. Yeah, and also what the practical takeaways are. So then when you leave, and that's always been my thing whenever you go to these, like, what can I action today? And Mm -hmm. I think, like, you know, you get up and hear these amazing talks, and you're like, okay, what's the takeaway? How do I go and change myself today? Or more importantly, what can I add to my program to all of a sudden increase the efficacy of it? It, It's funny you
2: say that because for this year, instead of having people summarize their talks – we had them, they just gave the topic and they gave learning objectives. And so we really, people that mailed in the learning objectives didn't get selected because we weren't asking for a full summary. So I'm like, this is where you need to tell me, like, what do you bring into the table? And, you know, if you're not bringing enough, then you don't get a seat at the table. So there are plenty of people who are just kind of like, you know, one person literally wrote, train smarter and harder. That was their learning objectives. And I'm like, while i don't disagree that that's a good idea that's i don't think that's quite enough to uh, warrant you a slot at the conference
1: so when you're working with the this audience let's say tactical or law or fire maybe you can segment it is there is there a gap you have to bridge between what these folks think they need and what the, let's say you know you as a subject matter expert know they need you know does that make sense
2: oh absolutely i mean the the good idea ferry runs rampant in these mm-hmm. communities right um and everybody has their idea of, of of what they need based on what got them to where they are um but it true told you know some people got there in, in spite of it the other thing is they might have got to where they are but they're not going to last a whole lot longer that you know they weren't really focusing on longevity and so mm-hmm. um yeah i'm crushing it but I'm going to break something tomorrow and I'm going to be off a team in in three years. Um, so yeah, there's quite a bit, quite a bit of, um, discrepancy between what guys truly need and, and, and what they want to do or what they think they should be doing. Right. Um, so there's a little bit of salesmanship involved, right? You gotta, you gotta package it up, uh, sugarcoat the medicine, so to speak, as my buddy, Matt Devine in DC would say, you know, he's phenomenal at that at, we got guys on programs where they're like, man, I'm bodybuilding. And he's like, he thinks he's bodybuilding you know? <laughs> and like, we'll take it. He's like, I'm also, he's like, he's getting stronger. He's more powerful. We're increasing his it's work. Bodybuilding. Yeah it's, yeah. it's totally bodybuilding. He's like, but the guy can oil himself up on Saturday and he's happy. So I'll call it good. Yep. Yeah.
1: That's always the, that's the most frustrating part with a lot of this.
4: To say he oils himself up on well, the weekends. No, that he doesn't. And uh. He won't let me oil him. <laughs> yeah. What kind of oil? Like, Coconut like, butter. I was going to say, like, 1040? No, I'm yeah. getting <laughs> Motor oil? Yeah. Mo- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, it's more functional. Uh-huh. Oh, did I just dis- stump you? you? You got nothing. <laughs> well, I was
1: going to say, and you can light it on fire. Um, but, and I was going to say, or the motor oil that's fucking leaking out of the Cummins, but it was diesel. So yeah. uh-huh. it was going to be take a shot at You D- stumped Jim. him. You stumped <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, oh, damn it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, that's, that's always so frustrating is that gap you have to close and it's like, uh, what is it, Dunning-Kruger, right? I think just a lot of folks come into this thing and they become their own expert and uh, they feel as if they're further along that continuum than so the internet, they actually then. are. What about the Internet?
4: Well, no, I mean, but that's the Internet where there's like so much information that I think people gravitate towards what they want to be true or their bias you know and i think that's what the internet's really allowed it's just like all this information people can get stuck in the wormhole for what's the confirmation bias yes and it's two different audiences that you got to tackle because
3: guys going to the conference i imagine they want to learn right but then you still go on site and that's when you got to find a way to connect with the people that are better than
4: you and they know it and they're going to tell you about it yeah
3: yeah
2: yeah well i think the worst thing you can run into is you know the guy that that read the book, right? But it, and it doesn't matter what the book is. Like, Just oh, man, I read... the book. Yeah. I, I read Starting Strength, and you're like,
4: shit. <laughs> I like, know what I'm getting into. You're like, ah, you're like right? I did too, but I read other books also. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, uh, that's the one thing I will say with Rip's people is, like, they read that book, and then there's no other books <laughs> other than, like, version two and three. Yeah, there's only one Bible. Yeah, yeah. no. Do you and, live
1: by the book? Of course.
4: And, and, and Rip is their God. Uh, like, man, I mean, we... I love Rip to death, but, man, when we taught that seminar at his place, or he taught a seminar at our place, like, the people came in, and I was like, I could have spotted, like, if we were at Disneyland, I could have spotted all these people, like, the same deal. And, uh, you know, we still battle all the time on hand position and foot position and this and mechanics. And I think it's just uh, everybody analyzes things through their lens. And, uh, you know, and I, I always appreciated Rip stuff, especially with, like, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, uh, you know progressive overload linear progression i think i think some of that stuff is genius and great observations he's made but then we kind of look at it from a different lens where i'm looking at athleticism not just trying to get you to squat more like is your squat allowing you to be better for your application and if the squat going up limits your application then we need to maybe do something else and I think like for RIP especially like with the starting strength it's called starting strength for a reason because it's your you know a lot of people's first exposure but there's something after starting strength right
1: and that's the tricky part is early on you know even with a young athlete or like early novices increased gains in strength will almost make everything better right but it doesn't that's not how it works forever. So when do you shift gears? People don't, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's where we get into this reversibility that you were talking about. So
4: well, I mean, the uh, for me personally, like one of the biggest like brain bombs was uh, when I looked at Charlie Francis. Um, you know, the idea that you know, hey, you're either sprinting faster than ninety two percent, or you're you know running at seventy five percent for the uh, for the the repeats, and that like there he talked about this whole like no man's land which was between like, you know, 91 and 76%, which is where the majority of strength is built. And so seeing that realization and being like, so the development of speed doesn't parallel the development of strength. And it's like, well, no, your ability to be fast is more about force. And, uh, you know, is your limiting factor for force strength or is it technique? Is it you know, flexibility? Like what are the key factors? And like seeing that piece and being like, oh, okay. So now, like, the age old of being like, oh, you want to get faster? You just got to get stronger. Well, maybe for some people, but that's not universally true when, you know, you're, like, if speed is the the ultimate fucking trump card and is, you know, like, you know, what everybody's attaining, then maybe your strength is limiting your speed, but then, you know, realizing it's not universally applicable to everybody. And that was a fucking, like, piece that blew up in my head.
2: Well, I think with that, too, like, the idea of building a physical profile on your athletes right like that's something certainly that in the tactical setting was not being done was any kind of testing so you just sort of assumed everybody was the same we're working with the same you know blank slate you know the other thing you see on the strength side of the house is generally speaking in tactical guys are 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 under strength and of course that's a generalization but so when they do find the barbell even if they don't even if they're not following a program You'll you see improvements kind of across the board because they've never touched something like that before. And so, you know, it's also the old what works is what you're not doing kind of thing. And especially, again, for guys that are at 60, 70 percent of their potential, it doesn't take that much to move the needle. So I think a lot of guys are like, you know, want to die hard and, and, and specialize in something. And they're like, this is what's what's doing it for me. It's like you could still do your your five by five or whatever, and and we can do some other stuff at the same time, and, and you're still going to continue to progress, you know. But you'll see them sort of, uh, like you know, throw their their chucks on and and the chalk, and, and you're like, man, this guy's serious. And then you see kind of a garbage round back deadlift with like you know three seventy five, and and he's a powerlifter, in, in his mind, of
3: course. Right, right. And in, in lacrosse, we call that ninety ten. It's 90% how you look, 10% how you play. I'm so not, it, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> dude, uh, were, were you the one that sent me that clip of that lacrosse, the lacrosse dude? Like, basically threw that like little shoulder fake and that dude fell down. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. he waved at him by. Yeah. I thought he, that was pretty good. And he did score after that, too. Oh, yeah.
3: it, that's- and stick side high. So basically, he shot it at the goalie stick and the goalie moved. Like, that's the most insulting. Goal that you can put on a goalie is you throw it right at their stick and they move to make a mistake. So that yeah, they flinch. That like
4: fifteen second clip, uh, a lot of meaning oh, yeah. to uh, to you. Which because I was nothing. that defender, it meant nothing to us. <laughs> where I was like, yeah. ah, it looks like a bunch of dudes running around with sticks. Oh, but you see that bounce though? It was great. No, he, dude, uh, it, it was a nice little like shoulder fake, and like the like that f- dude went all in and just yeah. fucking buckled them. Like that's never a good thing. He's peaked though. I mean that's oh, it. That, he, like that's Kevin. a high
3: school player. He's peaked. He's done. 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 Yeah. Hang on. That might well, high school. Yeah. That, oh, he was God. in high school. That's a high school. My man. Might, well, might as well. Might as well get a barbed
4: wire bicep tattoo. And no. Move to the Midwest. Man, He's man. done. Don't you
1: fucking connect that <laughs> tattoo, kid? Don't you? Yeah.
4: Well, it. it's uh, it's too painful underneath the arm. Arms are too big, man. What do you want? Oh to yeah, you? that's true. When the arm grows big, it's why it's unconnected. Arms are too
1: big. Seventeen years old. What would you know about that? So
4: so it connected at 17, but then you lifted weights and it it stretched out.
1: No, I I, I was peaking at 17, John. So my arms were, you know, way too big for the tattoo artist to to connect.
4: Take me through this, right? Like you go in for this thing, how come you don't get it to connect? All right, so you got to show, you got to show Nate the tattoo. Was was it like a money thing, or you just didn't know to connect it? I was 16,
1: turned 17. I had been turned away at every like three or four tattoo parlors before com- walking into this one, I'm like, okay, what do you want? And I'm like, fuck, okay, just be cool. I'm like, that one looks perfect. Just whatever you think. You know what I mean? Like, pick one off the A13, uh, that's a tribal armband, sat in the chair for three hours and then he fucking hacked up an armband. Like, what do you want me to do?
4: Oh, but but like, there was no thought of like, is it supposed to connect? And then it wasn't until like five years later when all of a sudden you bust it out and people are like, how come it doesn't connect? And you're like, oh.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it was five years later.
4: Or five That's minutes later? That
1: actually probably sounds pretty right.
4: Uh, Is, I, it, yeah, And the mean, fact that you haven't gone back and got it connected.
1: Well, I, there's plenty of nights I thought about. All right, let me bust this fucking bad boy out for my boy Nate. Um, there's plenty of times I thought. Well, like,
4: he was in just... the military. He knows about the Bad Tattoo Club, the <laughs> yeah. BTC. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, nobody rocks bad bad tattoos more than oh, yeah. me. Oh, you could oh, totally yeah. get it connected. I couldn't
1: have. I've thought about, like, just getting, like, a little line, just a little line to connect under there. How about, like, 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 a cover-up? Why would I do that, dude?
4: Dude, put something uh, cool on like, so my kids think they should get armbands? Like, The Rock? Like, he had his little, like, winking bowl, and then he got this crazy-ass fucking triceratops-looking yes. thing. Oh, yeah. cool. He looks got like a,
3: what, I don't know. Luke, where were we? Was it a beach or a pool or somewhere where you saw your... Bro. <laughs> Barbed wire, brother. I, I see it
1: all over. No, no, place. no. It's <laughs> mostly <laughs> Vegas, Vegas pool parties. Hey, we were somewhere. I
3: you cannot... like
4: roll over and you're like,
1: <laughs> just walk up and point at it, and then usually the guys like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, huh? "Oh, yours connect?" He's like, "I'm not showing you." <laughs> we were somewhere. I don't think he was connected either. Tex, if you think about it, and this is going to blow your mind, but we've always been somewhere. You know what I mean?
3: Ooh, well. With M- more pool?
2: than others. That's way, just, that, that's way deeper thought than you put into that tattoo. What I'm, the fuck
4: is that supposed to be? I'm, named? <laughs> I'm wondering how many seminars you guys went to where you guys were fucking at pool parties when you should have been teaching a fucking seminar. Oh, we never Six? missed a <laughs> seminar. Seven? The
1: seven in Vegas? Oh.
4: Wouldn't it be When you guys have muscle memory
3: and you can stand up and still put on a show? We uh, like muscles to know uh, you're
4: times. not
3: that good. You, 2017, John, you taught one. I taught them all. Uh, that's,
4: that's a true statement.
3: If, you, and if you're not good,
2: though, it makes it easier to repeat after a night out.
4: <laughs> like, yep, well, he's yeah, he's just yeah. as no bad wonder, as he was yesterday. No, no wonder I got so many negative reviews and that tanked the seminar. <laughs> 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 we yeah. I was like, ah, yeah. oh, there's another, you know, I'm like, God, I, you know, the problem is, is that we have rock stars. Yes. <laughs> and then we went to the, you know, the house band at the fucking, at the best Western in Naperville, Illinois. Naperville. Naperville. Next door yes. to Naperville. Uh-huh. And uh, Or school, what was it uh, um, When we used to play The Green, the Bay Lone band. Stars When we used to play In Green Bay We used to stay uh, At this like hotel Which was awful And they, they had Like a polka house uh, Like a polka house band And like whenever We'd come in There was like Playing like polka music And like people Eating popcorn That's what I think About you When you went touch. touched Oh when
1: you're saying When Tex went on the road Solo
4: He was like He was like Yeah he wasn't rock stars
1: He's a polka band Yeah <laughs> And we are... There's nothing wrong with that. And we are Motley
4: Crue, is what you Oh, saying. yeah. We, we were Motley Crue the dirt. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> like, like kickstart my heart, Motley Crue. And this is you and Raf. Oh... That was more like circus music. Uh, Yeah, that was like, uh, like you remember, like the uh, monkey with the symbols. symbols, Yeah, that's more like Raphael because I really didn't know what Ralph was going to teach. Nobody did, but it was mesmerizing. Yeah, mesmerizing. (laughs) I I, I remember a couple times being like, "Yeah, that was great," but uh, I don't think it had anything to do with the seminar. He was talking about time travel, fucking Mars landings. I mean, it went, it went far off the rails. And I remember being like, "All right, let's lift some weights." People were like, that was great. what did he say <laughs> I don't know. Well, i don't know it was awesome <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah man so we we had a we had a f- pretty fun kind of like a uh i guess method to managing a seminar right like so the information became primary for like the low ranking coaches, and then the experience became primary for the high ranking coaches, so you would have like this interesting synergy of like uh, you know, a coach really struggling to, like, get the information <laughs>
2: correct. I like that you pointed at text just now. Thank oh, you, thank I, you. I, I, I just, I, I just thought
1: really
4: that was, struggling. like, subliminally just was, like, pitching <laughs> over. So
1: really, really struggling. And then you'd have a guy like I don't, me, okay, uh, <laughs> come in and just people having a fucking blast. And then they it's, go, what was Tex even saying? It was just some droning on bl- bl- and bl- bl- on. Bl- bl- blah, blah, blah. Here's how you do a power clean. And then, you know, you got the party starter.
4: <laughs> uh, that's true, you know. You gotta uh, our uh, the analogy I used to give these guys. Have you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Yes. So you remember when he's like, you know, doing the uh, the lead singers doing the interview, and he's like, "I look for the one guy who's not getting off, and I get him off." And the chicks <laughs> are great. I was like, if we can watch Almost Famous, and that's the fucking mode of the seminar, find the one dude not getting off, and then you get them off. Mm-hmm. That's how we'll know we'll be successful. And you know what's crazy is like we got a lot of people when, off.
1: As as a young aspiring coach, I was like. I fucking get it. Okay. All right. I can get down with that. And then think back to my experience at the seminars. Right. And you see how that persona can come out and then you try to make a personal connection with each individual there and make sure they're, you know, doing their thing. And, it worked for us, man. I don't know.
4: Well, we, we tried to balance what I called, like, uh, the party starter and the keen bean. So I got keen bean over here. I got Professor McQuilkin up there being like, whoa. And then I got Luke over there. It's like, let's fucking, everybody gets laid. <laughs> you know? And uh, I think you got to have, like, that type of, like, almost, uh, like, those two parallel kind of, I guess, you know, counterpoints. Where, like, you know, one guy is about the experience and getting people to have a good time. Because the faster you can get people to enjoy themselves and laugh and, you know, like, start bringing in the information. They bring they, the guard. Down. Yeah, the yep. quicker the quicker you get buy-in. If it's all fucking science-y and you're up there and you're talking about this and this and it just, I think people just instantly kind of like equate a lack of fun with that. Yep. And so, like, I mean, we had, I mean, dude, hundreds of opportunities to fuck this up, and I think we ended up figuring out that like we gotta like give them like a big dose of information, but we gotta put it in such a way that they're having fun, they're engaged, and that we don't fucking lose them. Because I mean, the minute that they get fucking glossy-eyed, we gotta fucking change. And, um you know, we made enough mistakes, but I think we had so many opportunities to teach, and like in so many different countries i mean i I, I taught i mean think about how many seminars we taught where the people didn't even speak English, and we had translators sure. and i 'm not good with a translator, like Luke speaks in sound bites me, I fucking just go
1: yeah you speak for a translator <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> Luke's like giving these exciting invites, and then like the were we were in we were in uh, Argentina, yeah, where I like started Pablo, going off, and the, and the, the guy like looked at me and was like. Blah, 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 and then like spoke for like three minutes. I'm like, oh fuck. I and he got a that.
1: standing <laughs> ovation. Like people were like, that was fucking awesome. How did you do that,
4: Pablo?
3: <laughs> what best part is when dropping a joke and nobody laughs, especially when, when John's up there delivering At every seminar. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, then but I'm the funny. translator the problem
4: is I'm funny. I can't guarantee that they're funny. Right. And and my humor <laughs> is a little highbrow. It's uh, you know, it it, it takes a Uh, you know, somebody that went to, uh, you know, like a place like UC Berkeley, just a very, uh, intellectually funny, high level, very, just a very eclectic humor. No wonder I don't find you funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, Just not smart enough. Well, I mean, it it happens. It's happened my whole life. I mean, uh, being you know, having to deal with people like you and these guys, it's just, (laughs) it brings me down. It brings me down a notch. And I have to remember that there are people like you guys, uh, like people like you you do grow on trees. I think that's a compliment. Anyway. I'll, I'll take it.
3: <laughs> so John would drop a line that we know is a, is a joke, and then three minutes later into the translators, finally they... The guy, yeah, they're starting uh, to You laugh. get a response. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: the, and John's just waiting for it. Uh, dude, we taught a seminar in Norway, and we had a bunch of dudes from Finland, and uh, I came to... I didn't know this about the Finnish, but uh, laughing is considered like you're an idiot if you laugh, like, and, um, you know... They weren't saying this, but they said to me, they're like laughing is gay. And I'm like, how do you mean gay? Like funny gay? Like are we talking about or like flamboyant gay? Like because I used to you know, live in the Bay Area. Like like, what do you define? They were like uh, idiots laugh. And they were very serious. And so my whole goal was to try to get these dudes to fucking crack a smile and laugh. And it was fucking like uh, everything just fell on deaf ears. And then finally I was like, what's up with you guys? And they're like, oh, culturally, it's uh, it's it's we just aren't very funny people. And I'm like okay. Well, that's a shame. And then we went out with them and got a bunch of drinks in them, and they were a fucking hoot, and they laughed in front of them. I was like, oh, so we need to have beverages and drinks at this thing. They're like, yes. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Let's just fucking do shots.
1: <laughs> so, Nate, does NSCA Tactical, does that go international? Right?
2: Uh, yeah, it definitely does. So I got a trip uh, coming up here shortly to the Netherlands. Nice. So these, those guys, so they call the Essentials of Tactical Strength Conditioning they basically call it their Bible and they've built their sort of big army training protocols around that book. And then also around our practitioner course. So we deliver that practitioner course to their instructors, uh, what's looking to be probably once annually. And then they kind of piecemeal or, you know, divide that, that uh, content up throughout their curriculum when they're working with their essentially basic trainees and uh, train them in that light. So yeah, it's definitely getting some some good international reach. The other thing, you know, with, with NSCA Tactical, what I'm what I'm always harping is we're not really we don't push stuff. We do a lot more kind of pulling and again, pull, package, redistribute. And so for example, uh Paul Solberg, guy from Norway, is gonna be coming speaking at the annual training conference here in August. And you know, he's doing phenomenal stuff with the Norwegian Navy SEALs. We do a lot with uh Australia. So Rob Orr over in Australia does a ton of great uh, research with their special, special tactics guys, and particularly with regard to load carriage, which is something very specific to the tactical world that you don't really see in uh, sports. Um, so yeah, there's a good kind of interma- international
1: presence, and we're trying to pull even more from that. Nice man. Yeah, it's always fun traveling the world, teaching these dudes. Like it was a good. Those were it was a good run.
4: Those are good days. One last job? One last job. One last job. Ah, dude, I I don't know if my wife would, love, would enjoy it, but I'd be happy to reboot some international events. Uh, hey, like, honey. I heard there's a great one in September in Munich that mm. we should definitely do a mm. seminar right around. Yeah. On. Have you been to Oktoberfest? I have not <sighs> yet. Probably one of the greatest, <laughs> uh, like... I saw Beerfest, obviously. Who hasn't? If documentary. Yeah, documentary. Uh, but, you know, you always hear Oktoberfest and this. And, like, I've been to some, like, you know, uh, local things. But uh, we had a seminar booked in Nuremberg, and then, you know, we were going to tail it off for Oktoberfest. And I remember uh, Luke and I were supposed to go, but Luke's wallet got stolen at the gas station on our way to the airport. Not my wallet. Well, the backpack. My passport. And his passport.
1: The more important
4: so piece for international yeah. travel. The only thing you actually need. Yeah. yeah he just, like, it was a weird deal. So he had to leave him behind. And uh, I tapped in Tex, who, of course, was, you know, sitting on his couch. And I'm like, can you be at the airport in 30 minutes? No problem. No, no, no. There was not a question. Your flight leaves in six hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. So we go to uh, Nuremberg. We teach a seminar. And we go to Oktoberfest. And, like... Uh, My only regret was that we weren't wearing lederhosen. So if we ever go again, we got to get traditional outfits. Yeah. This is number five for me, so I'm all out of
2: excuses. So after that trip, did you give Luca's passport back (laughs) or— (laughs)
4: But the crazy part is We were at Newport Beach He was in D.C. But so But we show up And like we roll into this Like ah, What would you say Like six football fields Like imagine like 600 yards by this huge tent Like it's fucking huge There's hundreds of people In this tent And there's like a polka band Playing 80s fucking music Mm -hmm. Like uh, You know Come on Eileen I mean like uh, Dixie's Midnight Rangers Like the craziest shit And like they bring over These like beers That are probably easy Like 40 ounce beers and, uh, like just it, unbelievable, dude. I've never seen people get this hammered that fast. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And there's like 15 of these tents. Yeah. It's and, just and, like the movies do. Yeah. It, this it's is crazy. like the Hofbrau tent. And, but like, so we walk in, we don't have reservations, nothing. And text like, where are we going to go? And I'm like, hold on, let's, I'll pick it out. And so we're just sitting there watching. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's the guy, right. That's the guy. So they, uh, All of a sudden I look and I hear this, like, shattering of glass and I see these dudes over, like, on the far side, like, are fighting and battling, like, just fucking out of control. I'm like, those are our guys. So yep, that's there, That's where they were, and uh, he's showing pictures. Nice. So we we walk over, and it turns out that it's a bunch of Americans and Canadians that are playing semi-pro hockey in Germany and Sweden surrounding area. So we go over and like befriend these dudes who are absolutely fucked up, and uh, we ended up just having an epic time. And then the best part is, is like they have like a shift of like you know like hey like you guys got to go because these and tables like, like, like the, four p.m. Then yeah, the night like, and like reservations the, kick in. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, they threw those guys out and yet gave us a table, which still to this day was probably our greatest fucking swindle. And uh, so we sit down at the table. We're having a good time. Because you tipped. Yeah, that was it. I forgot. I was the only person there to tip. Like the gal came over and I was like, hey, here's, you know, whatever, 20 euros for these beers. I'm like, here's 20 euros. Make sure we're like these things never drain out. And I think it was the only tip she'd ever gotten that she like, put it in her pocket. And like every time the beer got anywhere near the bottom, she handed us another one. But uh, it was great, man. We saw people fucking passing out. It was awesome. Uh, I would love to take my kids back just to have them see that. Because like uh, all the Germans bring all their kids. like There were little kids running around in lederhosen where their parents were actually getting fucking destroyed. And I'm like, this would be a good adventure for the kids.
1: You know what else is awesome? When you drop your buddy off at the airport that you're supposed to be traveling to Oktoberfest with and just take a long drive home from LAX, <laughs> stuck in traffic, just so fucking utterly pissed off. And then showing up at the gas station, asking to see the security footage, them having the vehicle on tape, grabbing my bag and putting it in their truck, sitting there waiting 90 minutes for the police to show up, showing the police the footage, and then Newport Beach police saying, that's not a crime.
3: I think what my buddy's trying to say is love is
1: blind. <laughs> <laughs> that so was like did the the Newport point. Beach say it wasn't a crime? It's not a crime. It's not a crime, unless they try to use the passport it's not a crime.
4: Wow. So so, so taking something and having possession of it is not the crime. Right. So if I steal your wallet, that's not a crime unless I use your money.
1: Well, if you find my wallet on the ground. Because remember, they didn't take it out of our car. Yeah. I had put it down yeah. to, like, rearrange our other bags and then fucking hopped in for a quick getaway because... Remember our talk today about how you're always early to the airport. Yeah. We're not. That was another <laughs> well, example of those and, days.
4: And literally, we get on the, on, on, the, on, the, the, like on the on-ramp. I look over my shoulder, and I like just take inventory, and I realize we're, we're, we're missing a bag. And I was like, fuck, we're missing a bag. Luke's like, oh, shit. So we make a U-turn. And by the time we made the U-turn, which was like under three minutes, uh, the fucking bag was gone. And we yeah. were like, what the fuck? But yeah, no, that I, I would be depressed too. To this day, I would still be depressed enough to not get my tattoo connected. It, yeah, at least
2: nobody's recounting the story in a podcast and for making, everyone and making here. you relive it. Oh,
4: it was <laughs> fucking great. It was <laughs> fucking best. But and, also, and you so, know, my favorite part of Oktoberfest was the
1: pretzels. The saving grace, though, to this whole thing is I had been prior yeah. maybe two years. So, like, tw- was it twice?
3: Uh, the previous year, this was uh, Power Athlete's second...
4: You've been five times October four. Five I've been four times. times.
3: Four. Well, I know you went with Luke. Well, Luke did, you, did you go by yourself? Yeah, 2017, when I was on the, the tail end of the SSA train and doing all solo. It was an awesome trip, actually, because I hit... Italy. No, that was the third uh-huh. time I hit Rome, and then I met Luke in Nuremberg. The mm-hmm. fourth time, it was just a solo trip. But actually, you know who was there? Smuggler. Oh. Was he?
4: Yeah, hung out with Smuggler. Oh, okay. All right. I, I really can't see you showing up solo by yourself and really, like, raging. A lot of things you don't know about me, John. Like Luke, on the other hand, he's coming back with another tattoo. You? I don't know. Maybe just three quarters of another. Maybe you'll get a second armband on the
1: same arm that doesn't connect. Just as like a (laughs) final fuck you to everybody.
4: But it it won't connect on the outside, so everybody (laughs) knows.
1: Got it tattooed on the inside, so it doesn't connect. Yeah.
4: Oh, so, 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 so the other arm just connects on the inside and just doesn't connect on the outside? Yeah, it's brilliant, Tex. Uh, dude, I think, uh, you know, when we were in New Zealand, we should have got, like, some, like, weird tribal... That would be cool. You know, did, but didn't you get sick in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, man. I, you almost died? Yeah, something like that. Still went bungee jumping. Like, you ever go bungee jumping with, like, a terrible flu? <laughs> <It's
4: fucking laughs> Looks like, I was vomiting and shitting out of myself. Yeah. It was coming out of both ends, but I went bungee jumping, and it was awesome.
1: So it was great <laughs> because, like, you know... The terminal velocity of diarrhea and vomit (laughs) is much slower than that of a human being. (laughs) But where it backfires is on the rebound. (laughs)
4: <laughs> You're like, 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 clenching your buttsy and then like holding your mouth. You're like, bah!
1: Yeah, you hit the bottom and then you get slingshotted right up in your umbrella of, you know, excrement.
2: <laughs> More, worse than walking through your own crop dusting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, It'd be great if that was a real story. Unfortunately, it's not. No, <laughs>
4: but I, I, I think we should just go with it now.
1: I'll, yeah, I'll own that one. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. it like it's real. Yeah, uh, perfect, I like.
4: It. I bungee jumped and uh, vomited and shited at the very bottom at the exact same time. It was great. And then as I went back up, it was at the bottom. But when as I went back down, I went through it. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. do we have anything on real strength and conditioning left to talk about McWoken? or are we just going to do barfing and poo stories? Cause I got a few more.
3: <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Nate motivation. Why should someone invest in NSCA tactical?
2: Yeah. I mean the, it, it depends on kind of what you're looking to get out of us. Um, but I think what's great is that we have something for all different levels. So kind of to the point earlier, hey, if you're a tactical professional and you're just looking to kind of step up your game,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we can definitely bring you some education that will help you do that um, by way of both the practitioner course and then even certification. If you want to take it a step further, kind of go more into the, the peer training realm, um, you know, start you on that path. If If you're a coach our annual conference is really the only one I would say that's delivering the both the depth and breadth of information um, that is specific to tactical strength and conditioning. So obviously any of us can go to, you know, we can go to coaches or we can go to, um, you know, any symposium put on by somebody reputable and pull information from it and relate it to the tactical setting. Um, But it's nice to see somebody who's already doing it specifically in that space so that you know that it truly works for those operators that you're going to be working with. And so I think that's a big thing is you're just taking a broad concept of strength conditioning and we're doing tactical specific application. Um, you know, also our, our quarterly journals, so TSAC report, to your point earlier, you're taking coaches from the field, very practical information, but backed by research and, you know, delivering that in a written format. So, I think it's just the fact that we have something for, some, you know, for everybody at every level within tactical strength and conditioning because we do have such a broad audience, and that's not being seen through any other entities, at least that I've seen to date.
1: Nice, man. And if people want to come or go search on the Internet and learn more about it, where do you want to point them?
2: Uh, I would just type in NSCA Tactical. Um, that'll get you there? And that, that'll get you in the wheelhouse, absolutely.
1: Nice, man. Well, dude, Nate, thanks for taking, taking the time to talk shop with us. Coming out to Power Athlete today to fucking
4: pull some deadlifts. Actually yeah, had training a at 6 a.m. at 22 degrees. It's fucking cold here. Yeah, dude.
1: Well, and it wasn't too bad today. Like, it, the ambient air in the gym felt a lot better than the fucking temperature of that bar. Yeah, the, yeah, the bar. And yeah, I'm not one. Cold. Like, that was the coldest bar I've ever held. And now I know what all those members were complaining about at CrossFit <laughs> <El Boa.
4: laughs> Uh Yeah, I don't, still don't know what they were complaining about.
1: Uh, the coaching. No.
4: Yeah. <laughs> the coaching, the environment. Uh, yeah. uh, General malaise.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding, ding. ding. We did it, boys. Bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. For more information about TSAC, head over to the NSCA webpage. There you can get more information about the program, how to get certified, and all of their upcoming events. Don't forget to check out events.powerathletehq.com for our Johnny Wad training camp, April 26th and 27th. Space is limited. Until next time, bye!